His, his thoughts, his wisdom is far superior than anything that I can conjure up. No. He doesn't change. The word that he spoke to Moses is the same word he spoke, speaks to us today. Yeah. I'm going to add one more thing. We sang about it this morning, and that's hope. Right? We sang about um, 10,000 years, 10,000 years, and it'll be like we just got started. We had this hope of eternity, and, and sometimes it seems so formulaic to us, but it's, it is a real and living hope. We are spending eternity with Christ, and um, I had the privilege of being in a study this week with a group of guys, and uh, we talked about what the end of the age looks like. And we have the hope that one day injustice will no longer be. We have the hope that Jesus Christ will rule and reign from Jerusalem. He will rule and reign on the earth with us. And it will only be righteousness. It will only be justice. It will only be truth. It will only be grace. And the, the headlines of this day of, that are only confusing and terrible will all pass away because we have this hope in Jesus Christ. So yes, we have, we have a, a multitude, a plethora of reasons to bless the name of the Lord today. Let's do that. Lord Jesus, we do bless your name. And if for as many people as there are in this room, there are stories of, of this week and the stories of our lives, stories of our circumstances, and yet in the midst of it all, whether it is, whether it is mountaintop circumstance today or down in the valley circumstance today, we are here to bless your holy name, to recognize you as Lord of lords and King of kings, to recognize you as one who is sovereign and Lord over all things, and to recognize that you are the one who has redeemed us and, 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 and set our feet upon a rock. You're the one that gives us hope. You're the one that gives us unconditional love and, and, and grace enduring. And so we bless your name. We bless your name. For some it is through tears. For some it is through great, great, uh, great praise today. But either way, we praise your holy name. We bless the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now as we turn to your word, Lord Jesus, may it, may it speak to us. May, may, may your word be, be lifted off the page by your Holy Spirit that we might hear your voice, that we might heed your call, that we might follow after you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. We don't normally call out visitors, but I'm going to call out Tom and Brooke this morning. Sorry. Um, they're visiting today, and um, I had the privilege of being part of their wedding last summer. And they're from California, and uh, have moved to the Twin Cities area and are visiting us this morning. And I'm, that was a complete surprise to me. I'm so glad to see you guys today. But you know, they're from California, so I'm hoping that some of you will meet them after church today and uh, interpret some of the things that we've said today for them. Um, Okay, thank you. Martha's from California. Can you help them understand terms like potluck? <laughs> okay, I've opened up something that I can't control now. Uh, broomball. I don't know about, they might not know what broomball is. They need interpretation this morning, so 
Tom and Brooke, I'm sure glad you're here this morning. And anybody else who's visiting, we are thrilled to have you here. We've been, we, last week we embarked on a, a series of studies, and we're covering it in, in this hour, we're covering it in adult Sunday school, and we're covering it in our life groups. So for the next few weeks, we're doing an all-out saturation on this topic of evangelism and outreach. And we're calling it organic outreach, and uh, we're beginning to move through it. So that's, that's where we start from today. And um, as I think about it, one of my claims to fame as a young boy was the day I won first prize in an ice fishing contest. It was a cold winter day, and a crowd of people had gathered on O'Dowd's Lake south of Shakopee. Anybody know where O'Dowd's Lake is? Okay, just one hand, that's it. Okay, all right. It was a day for everyone to test their ice fishing skills. My dad and my brothers, and we were among the hardy that day, and we were ready to take on the lake, and we were ready to win the fishing contest. And that day, I did win first prize. I won a six-volt battery-powered, battery-powered lantern with a red flashing beacon on it. For a kid my age, that is it, by the way, it was something on a par with a Red Rider BB gun to a kid like me. I should probably tell you that nobody actually caught any fish that day. I won because my name was drawn from a hat. <laughs> Do you remember that, Dad? Yeah. I continued to fish into my teen years and in my early 20s, and somewhere along the way I figured something out. Though I had spent lots of money on gear and gizmos that were overflowing from a, a small tackle box, I couldn't catch fish. And somewhere along the way, I'd become unproductive in fishing, and the, and the fun just went out of it. So I quit fishing. And I have to admit that I envy folks who know which lure to use, who know which bait to use, who, knew what, who know which smell to throw at the fish, and to get them to bite, because I never figured it out. I put my lure, I put my hook, I put my line down that ice hole, and I couldn't coax a fish to bite to save my life. So except for the occasional outing with grandkids, I haven't fished for years. Evangelism can be like that. When we first come to Christ, we're passionate to tell others about Jesus. But for many of us, the fire dies down, the passion wanes, and the results of evangelism don't seem to be what they should be. It seems no matter how we approach it, no matter how we bait the hook, or no matter, how, no matter which latest fad we try, we can't get any nibbles on the line. But as we discussed last week, regardless of how our efforts compare to the expert fishers, we are still called to share our faith, and we're called to proclaim Jesus as we move through our daily lives. And as we discussed last week, evangelism is not an add-on module that, that, or an afterthought command by Jesus. Sharing our faith is part of our discipleship. Sharing our faith is part of following Christ. And as such, it needs to be a stepping out in faith. It needs to be trusting Jesus in circumstances to share my faith with others. It Evangelism needs to be both an obedience and a joy. It needs to be a commitment and a blessing. So knowing that, 
and re renewing our passion for evangelism, we renew our efforts and our energy. So we look for the latest book. We go to the, the newest seminar, maybe the most trusted seminar. And trust me, I've read the books. I've read all the books, and I've been to the seminars. Right here at Valley Free, we've instituted programs over the years. We've taught classes, and we've hosted community events, all with the purpose of equipping ourselves for the call of evangelism. And we've done some great things. Back in the 80s, I was chairman of the Evangelism Committee here at Valley Free Church. So I know what I'm talking about. So I don't regret any of those efforts that we made. There are some rich memories in those efforts. And they've all layered on my knowledge of not only how to do evangelism or what the importance of evangelism, but who Jesus is in the midst of evangelism and outreach. And I've sharpened my skills, and I've, I've boosted my passion to share Christ. But through it all, I've learned that while you need to grow in knowledge and skills, that's important. You can't create a program or a template for this part of discipleship. Our efforts need to be organic. In both our individual lives and in our church life, our, our life together, our corporate life, this calling to proclaim Christ calls for a DNA change in our hearts and our minds in this important aspect in our life with Christ. So over the next weeks, and starting today, we're going to dive deep into what it means to incorporate organically a rhythm of life that makes loving our neighbors and sharing Christ less stressful, more exciting, and more fruitful. So today we're introducing the BLESS principle, and then we're going to begin a series of messages to apply it to our lives. And as we apply these things, I believe we're going to see God honor our steps of faith and bring about a new season of passion for reaching our neighbors for Christ. That's our prayer. So the first thing I'd like to do today is introduce the BLESS principle, and then we'll, we'll take a bite off the first step of the BLESS principle, and we'll, which is prayer. We'll, we'll work on that this morning as well. So as we, as we look at Scripture... We recognize the call to go into the world. And it's amazing the disciples weren't more attuned to that call than they were. And as he often needs to do with us, he needed to move them out of their comfort zone and out into the world with the gospel. They needed the, the gentle push as well. And so while the command is clear, the method of evangelism is less specific, less defined in Scripture. But Jesus has not left us without instruction on outreach. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. And here in this chapter, Jesus sent out 72 disciples. And we've looked at this passage before. I'd like to take look at it with fresh eyes this morning from this perspective. Jesus sent out 72 disciples on a mission trip, their first mission trip. And in sending them out, he gives them clear instructions. So we're not, we're not going to walk through the whole passage this morning, just the instructions. And he gave them something of a template to use as they go into a village. And I use that term loosely because I just said we can't make a template, but these are some guidelines that Jesus gives us. Look at this, Luke chapter 10. Let me, I'll start back at verse 2 just so we can work into it a little bit. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pay earnestly, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. 
Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. And here's, here's where the instructions start. Verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. We'll stop there. We'll just stop with those simple instructions this morning. The first instruction we see is, is to speak peace. Now, it's a wonderful greeting among us, and we've, we've talked about this here at Valley Free. It's a wonderful greeting among the believers in the New Testament. Grace and peace to you. But I'll be honest with you, I've never tried that with my neighbor. So while it may be appropriate, it may be wonderful, it might be a little offsetting to a new acquaintance to walk into their house and say, peace to you. But what does it mean to speak peace to a family? What does it mean to give a blessing of peace to a family or acquaintance or a neighbor? We'll talk about that today. We're going to come back to that as we talk about prayer. The second thing we see here is, is that of eating, eating and drinking what they provide. Now, there's lots of jokes about that as you're going on a short-term missions trip about eating the food that's put before you and all the stories that come with that. But here it is. When you go into a home, accept them for who they are and for, for what they offer to you. Don't go in there and judging and saying, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this. That's, that's what the book of Galatians speaks against is all the rules and regulations. Back off. Just enjoy the fellowship. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the atmosphere of their home. Time and conversation is essential to relationship. And then he goes on to say, heal the sick in it and say to them, so heal the sick. We are called to, as, as, as messengers of the word of God, we're called to meet the needs of those that we come in contact with. Jesus tells him here to heal the sick. Evangelism simply means identifying needs and doing our best to meet them. It means serving one another. We'll talk about that as well. And then finally, you'll notice at the end of that process, at the end of, that, of those steps, Jesus says, go in and when, you, when you're at their table, when you're at their home, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Proclaiming the gospel is the fourth step. Finally, we come to a place where sharing Christ is a natural outcome of a relationship. We often put this part in the first conversation that we experience when, in fact, we need to earn the right to be heard. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't share it in the first conversation. It could be that, that it goes just quickly like that. We move from a place of, hello, how are you, to a conversation that moves quickly, and we're able to share Christ. I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to take that off the table. But the reality is, most of the time, we need to get into a relationship, and we need to earn the right to tell them about Jesus. And that's what we're talking about here today. In fact, one author warned, if we, if we push the gospel too hard, if we, if we try to get at it right away without earning the right to be heard, that leads to an insensitivity in the relationship that can, be, can, can set the relationship back. He, the one author I read described it as kissing somebody while having bad breath. 
The kiss might be great, but all they remember is the bad breath. So we've distilled these instructions from Luke chapter 10. We've distilled them down into what we call the blessed principle today. And the blessed principle says this, be in prayer, listen with care, eat together, serve with love, share your story and God's story. So if you want to know what we're preaching and teaching about over the next few weeks, that's the outline right there, the blessed principle. Um, Caleb is going to take the topic of eating together. I can't wait to hear how we're going to handle that one. But that's the blessed principle. Now, there's a group of us here at the church, a larger group of ministry leaders that have been working to apply this principle in our daily lives over the last year or so, year and a half. We're finding these principles, the blessed principle, we're finding them fascinating. We're finding them easy to apply and difficult to apply, challenging all at the same time. For me, the blessed principle has given me a whole new perspective on relationships with neighbors. It's taken me out of my comfort zone, and it's, it's launched me into discussions with neighbors that I haven't had for years, and I've shared some of those along the way as they've happened. We're seeing God build out relationships in our neighborhood and, and with our neighbors that we just didn't have before. And there are opportunities that come with it because we've been diligently trying to apply this blessed principle. By the way, there's a handout on the back table with the blessed principle, and I encourage you to take it. It's, a, it's designed to be a refrigerator stick up, and you can be reminded of it often as you pray for your neighbors and seek opportunities. Um, let's keep going. That's the blessed principle. We'll, we'll unpack that over the next few weeks. I'd like to talk about the first one, be, bless, be in prayer. What does it mean to be in prayer? We saw in Luke 10 that Jesus not only sent his disciples out to share the kingdom of God with people, but he gave them instructions on how to do it. The first instruction for beginning a conversation was to begin with a blessing of peace. So what does that mean? How do we speak peace to a household? In what ways can we be messengers and carriers of peace into our neighborhood? By the way, I'm using the term neighbor and neighborhood this morning, but that applies to coworkers, fellow students. That includes to, that, 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 this includes anybody in your network. And so please... I'm talking about neighbors, but it includes your whole network this morning. Be mindful of that. And when we talk about that, we see that we are to be in prayer for the evangelistic enterprise. Our efforts and our ministry of outreach must not only include prayer, but they have to be founded on it. They need to be saturated in it. Prayer is the natural place to begin a deeper dive into outreach. And again, I said, this, I said this last week, I'm not sure we need to spend our time convincing ourselves that prayer is essential to life and that it's essential to our desire to reach others for Christ. I think we would all nod our heads at that. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This is a spiritual battle. 
And prayer is the weapon that we have to enter into the heavenly places on behalf of others. In the same passage, Paul tells us, I think it's verse 18, Paul tells us to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. We're called on to pray for this evangelism enterprise. We're called on to pray for our neighbors that they might know Jesus. When we come to God in prayer, we recognize that redemption is his business. This is a spiritual work in a spiritual battle. So we add our our efforts into the equation. We do go and speak. We do build relationships. We do keep our eyes open for opportunities. We add our efforts into the equation. But brothers and sisters, we can't change hearts. My efforts stop at changing hearts. I can can debate. I can convince. I can offer grace. I can offer restoration in the name of Jesus. I I can serve. I can serve with humility and love. But I can't change a heart. You see, that's what prayer recognizes, that this is God's business. So prayer gives the whole endeavor over to God. Prayer recognizes that it's only by the power of the Spirit that any fruit will come to our efforts. It's only the Holy Spirit that will produce the fruit that comes from evangelism. Prayer also recognizes that our wisdom, our strength, and our clarity for the work only comes from God. We need direction. We need leadership. We need, we need the Lord and the Spirit to prompt us to move into various arenas, various relationships to share Christ. And in that way, God overcomes our weaknesses. He overcomes our inabilities and our doubts, and he moves us into a place of confidence as we share Christ with others. You see, prayer is essential to the work of evangelism, the work of God in evangelism. So, Let's be honest. For many of us, this step may be as difficult as any other when it comes to sharing Christ with others. We don't often share this with one another, but I fear that prayer is not a strength. Why not? So let me offer some thoughts on why, why prayer seems to take a back seat and our efforts move to the front seat. First of all, I wonder if we don't have a proper theology of prayer. And what I mean by that is we, we, sometimes we don't understand how it works. We don't understand how God fits in our prayer. Are we convinced that Jesus meant it when he said that we would do greater works than he did? Are we convinced of that? Are we convinced that he desires to move in us in this kind of power? Do we know that the Father himself loves us as Jesus said it so So clearly, do you know that the Father himself loves you and desires to answer your prayers? That's a great passage in John 16, verse 23. Do we know that God inclines his face and his ear towards us to listen and to respond to our prayers? You know what that means? That God is is, leaning in when you're speaking. He's leaning in when you're praying. He's leaning in saying, yes, tell me more. And here's where theology collides because we don't understand. He already knows what we're going to say. But he's leaning in because he loves you. And he wants to hear what you have to say. He wants to know what's on your heart. He wants you to talk it through with him. That's what prayer is. Do we understand that he inclines his face towards us? Do we know that God loves the people of the world and he longs for them to know him? And if these truths aren't convictions for us, 
then we won't have strength in our prayer life. And if we dig deep into this, I th- can I say this? If we really dig deep into this, we have to come to a place of confession that we're wavering in our trust of God. I'll move quickly past that. But if you peel back the layers of that onion, that's where you wind up. I don't trust you, God. So I'm going to go and work, and I'm going to, I'm going to do all I can to, to make up with my efforts. Another reason why we have obstacles in our prayer life is that we're impatient. We've talked about this before, so I won't dwell on it, but we, we want a response now, and sometimes God's timetable is newsflash. It's not my timetable. His timetable is often different than ours. I'm going to say it's always different than ours. You see, persistent prayer, what the Scripture calls importunate prayer, is a recognition that God's timeline is the best timeline. We have to overcome our impatience. Another reason there's an obstacle in prayer is I think we haven't learned prayer. Prayer is, takes practice. Prayer takes intentionality. It means incorporating God's word and promises into our vocabulary, into our, into our, into our, our thoughts and our, our words. And you see, prayer is a discipline of our faith. It's a muscle that needs to be worked and strengthened. And we all know this. At the same time, it's, it's simple. If we're having a hard time understanding prayer, we simply say, just talk to God. Just tell him what's up. So on one hand, it's, it's very simple. And on the other hand, it takes practice And it takes repetition. And I say that we often haven't learned to to pray. I think part of the challenge in evangelism and part of the relationship building is sooner or later, you're going to come to an opportunity. God's going to open up. He's going to swing a door wide open in a relationship. And you're not only going to be able to tell somebody about Jesus, you're also going to be able to say, can I pray for you? And if I'm not practiced in prayer, I'm going to avoid that opportunity because I don't want to speak out loud a prayer. I won't ask for a show of hands. But I know that that's true among us. If you get to that place and it's obvious that you could pray for that person, but I'm afraid to because I haven't practiced prayer, I don't want us to get to that place. I'll keep going. This is going to get hopeful, by the way. Okay, thank you. All right. Familiarity breeds apathy. Here's what we mean. When we spend a lot of time with people or we've had difficult conversations with them, we can settle into a defeatist attitude. I've told you about my Jewish friend in Pitesh who has, who has passed away many years ago now, but uh, he, was, he was in prison camps in World War II And uh, I dearly loved this man. But every time I tried to bring up spiritual things, let alone Jesus Christ, he would change the subject. Change the subject. A couple of years ago, we had an opportunity to invite a neighbor to an event, a Christian event. And um, I've, I've talked to him 
on various occasions, tried to strike up a relationship, and I, I went and, and knocked on his door, and I, I uh, invited him to this event. And he said no, and he closed the door, and that was the end of it. So what I mean by familiarity breeds apathy is now I don't know if I really want to go back and knock on that door again. Because the answer was very clear and very abrupt. So we need to get through that. Uh, I went to a chaplain's meeting this week, and one of the chaplains from another department was amazed at a call where a son was overdosed on drugs. And it was a, it was a, it was a terrible, terrible situation. And the parents were desperate. They said to the, the first responders, they said, you know, we've called over 20 times we've called because of overdose. And we've tried all the social service agencies. We've tried everything. And we don't know what to do anymore. And one of the other chaplains started talking about how often the first responders are getting out for these kinds of calls. It's, a, it's an epidemic right here in our neighborhood. But the thing that struck this, this chaplain was that they were in a very beautiful home. They were in a home worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was gorgeous, and the family was, was picture perfect. And to a neighbor who's looking in, they would see nothing but a beautiful, wonderful family and lots of money and lots of resources, and life was wonderful for them. And there's their son laying on the floor for the 25th time close to death because of a drug overdose and, overdose and families are desperate. But you see, we don't often see those things because they're behind closed doors and familiarity breeds apathy. Another reason, this is my last reason for the obstacles anyway, another reason that we, we, we don't pray like we could is that people are too different from us. The difference between us and them is, is huge. And so when we talk about differences, we know there's people who are lost, and then there's people who are really lost. Right? We don't, we don't say that out loud. That's not, that's not PC in our Christian circles. But I think in, in our minds, we think, man, there's, there's just no way that person's ever going to come to Christ. For, for some, we have hope, while others, well, that's just too hard. That's, they're just too callous in their sin. They're too outspoken in their disgust for God. They'll never be saved. And too often, it's easy for us to judge and to condemn and to give up. So we don't pray. We went to a wedding yesterday. And I've told you about this before, but it's a family member. And I don't want to give too many details of it, but I've, I've mentioned before, this is on Sandy's side of the family, and a family member that has, has gone through rehab multiple times and, and life is, he was in this, the, he was in the, the really lost category. But we prayed. And I know our kids have been praying for him. And I, I told you some time ago that I found out that he had come to Christ. And yesterday we went to their wedding and it was in an evangelical church and it was Christ-based, Christ-centered and he's sober, and their family, their, their new blended family is a beautiful, beautiful family founded on Jesus Christ. I pulled, I pulled him aside later, and I, you know, how many of you have your coins with you? How many have your medallions? Come on, pull it out, pull it out, come on. Come on, Fibs family, come on. There it is, I, come on, you guys. 
I took a medallion with us. This is an Ephesians chapter 6 spiritual warfare medallion. And I said, you know what? I gave this to the groom yesterday, and I said, I and a bunch of guys in our church carry this coin with us wherever we go. I just, you guys just proved me wrong on that. But <laughs> I carry this coin with me wherever I go. And it's a reminder that, this, that the battle is the Lord's. The battle is a spiritual battle. And I gave him a coin, and I said, I want you to carry this with you wherever you go. And next time I see you, which isn't all that often, I'm going to ask you for it, and it better be in your pocket. I said, I don't mean to say that weddings or marriage is, is a battle. But I want you to be reminded that God is sovereign and God's in control and that you need, to, you need to found your relationship on Jesus. And I said, it's based on Ephesians chapter 6 and the spiritual warfare. And he looked at me and he said, I just read that this morning. He was in the really lost category. And we can't express how excited we are for that. Prayer makes a difference. I believe that our sense of importance and urgency for prayer, along with persistent application of the blessed principles in our lives, will move us deeper into the experience and power of prayer in our lives. I want us all to experience that. As we do, we'll see God move in fresh new ways. I can't wait to see how God moves as we begin to pour ourselves into these things. So how do we begin with prayer for our neighbor? How do we pray for our neighbors? Let's get into some practical things here. I'm just going to give you a bullet point list, and we'll just walk through it. And maybe you can add some more things to this list, but this is my attempt at a list. What can you do to begin praying for your neighbor? And I will go back to Luke chapter 10. How, what can you do as, as prayer warriors to speak peace into your neighborhood and into your neighbor's lives? Here we go. First of all, keep the relationships bathed in prayer. Maintain prayer for your relationships. Keep praying for those neighbors. And the second one is, is like it. Persist in prayer. Keep it going. Continue to pray. Importunate prayer. It's, 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 uh, it's like the, the, the parable with the, with the, with the judge and the, and the widow, and she just keeps tugging on his robe. Come on. I need you to answer this prayer. I need you to do this. I need you to and keep tugging on the robe. And God gives us permission to tug on his robe. Persistent prayer. Third one. Here, here, this is a newsflash. This is absolutely brilliant. Know their names. Know their names. How many of you know all your neighbors' names? How many of us just walk up and down the street and go, Hi, how are you? And we don't know their names. I've done it for years. And we pray for our neighborhood. But we're, we're, we're finding out their names. And you know how you do this? this is, here's a tool for you. Um, do a neighborhood map. Sandy and I just sat down and we just drew out our neighborhood. And we put Valley Street down on there. And we just started, we just filled in all the houses as they were laid out on the map. And we began filling in the names of people that we know in the houses. And, and we realized we know the names of more neighbors than we think we do. And it was a really exciting exercise to do. And then when I couldn't fill in a name, we, we found ways to ask them their names. 
When we're out walking the dog, we simply stop and carry on a conversation and we, and we listen for the names or overtly ask for their names. And we start to fill it in. And then we start to fill in our neighborhood map with things that we know. And that's the next thing. Know their needs and their story. Know their needs and their story. So get to know your neighbors. Not only know their names, but get to know them. Get to know what their story is. Where did they come from? How long have they lived on Valley Street? How long, how, how long have they lived in Chaska? What, where do they work? And, and pretty soon their story will begin to unfold as you show interest in their lives. And you know what happens then? Somewhere along that process, you begin to learn their needs. You begin to learn that, that marriage isn't going so good. You begin to learn that their daughter or son lives far away and they miss them. You begin to learn all kinds of things. And you have now a knowledge base from which to begin to pray for your neighbors. You know their names, you know their stories, you know their needs. And you, at the same time, you're building a relationship. The next one is pray and walk. I'll combine these two ideas together. Um, we, we have our willow dog, and she gets a walk twice a day. And it's usually around the whole neighborhood. It's about six blocks if we walk the whole thing. And, and we, can, we can, as we think of it, we can pray for different families on the blocks. One day I was walking down the street. This is, a, this is a block down, so we don't really know the neighbors a block down. And it was on another street. And um, a young lady was out standing in her driveway. And she was talking rather loudly into her phone. I don't know her. I've never talked to her. They've never been out when I've walked by their house. And, but she made it clear that her, her it was loud because she was upset. And she was talking about a custody issue. Well, he wants this, and he wants that, and I won't let him do this, and he never lets me see the kids, and you know that conversation. And she's doing it rather loudly. So as I walk by, I'm taking note. This lady is in, in some pretty serious frustration and trouble because of these kinds of relationships. Now I know how to pray for that house, at least a little bit. Pray and walk. Walk your neighborhood. Get out there. Get, get out there and look for opportunities. And this In Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, Now as you do these things, speak peace and a blessing. Speak peace and a blessing. So as we pray... We pray a blessing over that home. So for the young lady who is having the difficulties with custody issues, we can now begin to pray, Lord, I just pray that you would intervene and you would show yourself to her so that she can have wisdom and clarity in this part of her life. Have your way with her with these custody issues. Show her, show somehow, Lord Jesus, intervene in her life and make yourself known. We know how to pray, at least a little bit. So we can speak blessing. How do you, let me contrast that a little bit. I could easily walk by the same house and say, you know, you're young. I can see that this, I can see from this situation, I can take certain clues and I know that this is the way this is and this is the way that is and shame on you. That's a curse. That's a non-blessing. We are not called for that. We are called to speak peace. We're, we're called to, to invoke peace for those homes. We're called to, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to invoke a blessing on their family so that they may come to know Jesus. It's not our business to do shame and guilt and judgment. It's not our business. It's not our business. In fact, Jesus said when you go into somebody's home, 
eat and drink whatever they put before you. You know, that's another way of saying, enter their home without judgment. Enter into their home with one thing in mind, to establish a relationship so that you might introduce them to Jesus Christ. And that means that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to only speak blessing, not judgment. Not judgment. And along with this, this idea, we can look for spiritual strongholds in our neighborhoods. We can look for places where... Um, there might be issues that are clearly spiritual issues and that we can, we can be the Elijahs of the day and we can, can pray against those strongholds in our neighborhoods. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Here's a, here's a powerful prayer that I, I, I think is foundational. There are others like it. Paul's prayers are rich. And this is, this is one way to learn how to pray, and that is to just take one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's prayers or one of the prayers of Scripture and personalize it and pray it back to God. But listen to this prayer of Paul's in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a... Here, here you go. Here's how we can pray for our neighbors. That, the, that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That God might open your spiritual eyes, and this is where God comes in, because we, we don't have a formula for this. This is God's business. God's the one who takes the scales off the eyes. God's the one who opens the eyes so that we can see into the heavenly realm, and we can see spiritual truths, so that we can see the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can hear the leading of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who does that. And Paul simply prays, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, Jesus Christ, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. There it is. And then he goes on, and we won't take this apart this morning, but listen, this is how you can pray for your neighbors, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, so that you can know the riches of his inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. And he goes on, take that prayer, Take that prayer and, be, and, and use it as a prayer guide, a prayer template to pray for your neighbors. And take it up. That means, that means you need to meditate on it. And that, mean, that means that you need to understand what Paul is talking about. What does he mean that you might know the riches of the glorious inheritance of Christ? What does he mean when he says that the, that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ might be seen in your life? Meditate on that and begin. You can apply it to your own life too. But as you walk the streets, as you think about praying for your neighbors, apply that prayer to your neighbors, and we'll begin to see how God works. How can you go wrong taking a prayer out of Scripture and applying it? It's Scripture. And then two more things. I think we need to pray for opportunities for ourselves, open doors to speak, open doors to build relationship. And then the final thing is we need to pray for ourselves that we would have wisdom, compassion, and truth. We need, to, we need to let God do a work in our lives so that we can bring an honest, grace-filled, truth-filled presentation of Jesus, whether it's through our actions or our words or our testimony. You see, God is waiting for us to ask. He's promised to hear us, to respond, and to bless our work far beyond anything we can imagine. 
I have two illustrations. I, I, won't, I won't give them this morning, I guess, for lack of time, but two illustrations of, of wives that Sandy and I have known over the years who have desperately prayed for their husbands to come to know Jesus. And both of them saw their husbands come to know Christ. One, one of our acquaintances came to be touched on a short-term ministry team and um, years and years ago, prayed, we, our, our teams prayed desperately for her with her that her husband might come to know Jesus. Shortly after that, he came to know Christ and they'd been serving in missionary, as missionaries in Asia all these years and they, I think they just retired. An amazing story. You see, God hears our prayers. In our neighborhood, one of our neighbors had an awful situation again with, with a, um, a family member that was dealing with a drug addiction and, and it was out of control. And one day I looked out and the police were there. This was a pretty common experience. And by the way, the end of the story is that he has, he has gone in a new direction, a positive direction. But at that time, it was an awful, awful situation for that family and a little bit for our neighborhood. I looked out and I saw the squad cars out in the front, front of their house. And I saw her sitting in her car on the, on the street. And I walked up to her in the car. I went outside. I walked up to her and I, I asked her how she was doing. And she began to explain to me that she was frightened, that she was afraid he was violent. And she came out and she rolled up the windows and she locked the car, afraid that her, her family member was going to come after her. In that moment, I said, can I pray for you? And I prayed peace over their home with her. Her husband came up to me a day or two later and he said, thank you for the kind words that you spoke. See, that spoke volumes, just a simple opportunity to pray. We have a, in our, in our evangelism cohort, we have a, a young lady who has teenagers in sports, and she's a sports mom, and she talks about the, the parents who are in the bleachers at all the sporting events, and she has been praying for that whole group of parents and she started a Bible study with all the moms that are sitting in the bleachers. She has a sports mom's ministry. It's amazing because she's been praying for those ladies. And finally, I want to close with this. I'm convinced that behind most, if not all, salvation stories, there's a prayer warrior asking God to break through. Somewhere behind the scenes, and you don't know who they are. It might be grandma, it might be mom and dad, it might be, I don't know who it is. It might be a coworker, it might be somebody. Somewhere behind the scenes, there's somebody who's praying, please God, open the eyes of their hearts. And what goes with that prayer? Please send somebody to tell them about Jesus. And I often wonder when we come into these circumstances and we find ourselves in a relationship or a conversation, we might be the one that is being prayed for by somebody else. That's why it's really important when somebody does come to know Christ, go find that person who you know has been praying for you and thank them. One of our ministry leaders went to a block party this summer and discovered that many of their neighbors were already Christians and they were already praying for their neighborhood. 
Don't underestimate that right there in your neighborhood, God has a ministry partner for you among that, relation, among that network. You are not alone as you pray. Prayer is the foundation for salvation work. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, we, we come to you. We bless your name because we recognize that you are, <clears throat> you are the one that moves. You are the one that's, that's, that's holy. You are the one that can transform and shape a heart. You are the one that can open the eyes of our hearts to see you, to hear your truth, to, to, to take in your grace. And so we come to you this morning with a, an attitude, a disposition of prayer, dependency on you, Lord Jesus, to use us and to move among us, to move around us that people may come to know you. Lord, we pray as a congregation this morning that over the coming weeks and months, we would see we would see and hear stories of how people are, are, are becoming more and more open to who you are and even perceiving you as Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray with confidence. We pray with hope. We pray with a sense of anticipation for your work among us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.